So we're going to go to verse, let's go to about verse 70. Questions, comments before we get started in this tonight? All right. So starting with verse 70, I seek refuge in Allah, in the name of Allah. Guide us. Uh, starting with verse 70, we made a covenant of old with the children of Israel, and we sent unto them messengers. As often as a messenger came unto them with that which their souls desired not, they became rebellious. Some of them, they denied, and some they slew. They thought no harm would come of it, so they were willfully blind and deaf. And afterward, a lot turned in mercy towards them. Now, even after that, many of them willfully blind and deaf. Many of them are willfully blind and deaf. A lot is fear of what they do. They surely disbelieve who say, Lo, Allah is the Messiah, son of Mary. The Messiah himself said, O children of Israel, worship Allah, my Lord, and your Lord. Uh, uh, whoso ascribeth partners unto Allah, for him Allah has forbidden paradise. His abode is the fire. For evildoers, there will be no helpers. So in verse 72, you can actually find verse 72 in your Bible. It doesn't say it the exact same way, but you do find Jesus telling uh, the children of Israel to worship God. In, in your King James Version, it states that he worships God who is, uh, uh, he tells them to worship God, who's also my God, and my Father, who is also your Father. So it's one of those scriptures used when you read it in context that proves that here's the words of Jesus. If he's telling his followers to worship God, who is also his God, then again, we have to ask the question, if Jesus is God, what God is he talking about that's his God? So now God admits that he has a God. So that it, it now falls apart when you, when you start, again, taking what the Bible says versus what our tradition says. Okay, so in the next verse it states, um, uh, we're in verse 73. They surely disbelieve who say, lo, Allah is the third of three, when there is no Allah save the one Allah. So again, Allah is not the name of God. The word Allah just simply means the God. So when there is no God save the one God, if they desist not from saying a painful doom will fall on those of them who disbelieve. Now one thing I'm going to point out here. The verse above we read, those who say that Allah is the Messiah, son of Mary. So this 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 old belief has been going around for a long time. But the point I'm pointing out is, notice that Allah says those who say this disbelieve. Then he comes back and says they disbelieve who say that Allah is one of three. What I want to emphasize so that we understand it, what Allah is dealing with, he's not dealing with just everybody. Because if that's the case, then we have to put every Christian in, in this bucket of a painful doom because they called Jesus, they called God, they, they said God came in the flesh and was Jesus, and they believe in the Trinity. 
And if you think of it that way, that would make God very rough and harsh to incriminate people who don't know no better. Would everybody agree with that? I agree. Yes. Okay. So the key to understanding is is that a law of addressing disbelievers. And if you remember the definition of a disbeliever is a person who sees the facts for what they are but will willingly deny those facts because it does not conform to what they want it to be. So if a person has grown up Christian like how most of us did, and all we knew was Jesus was God or the Trinity, I can't be held accountable for something that that's all I knew. Nobody told me any different. Nobody taught me any different. That's my sincere faith because that's all I knew. That's how I was raised. Versus the person that I open the Bible and have you read this where it denies everything you just said Jesus is and Jesus said, and you turn around and say, I see what the Bible says, but that's just the way I just I don't believe it that way. Now you fit the category of a disbeliever because you are willingly choosing to disobey what you are clearly reading in the book that is supposed to be God's word. And if these are God's words in the Bible, then we don't have the right to pick and choose what we want to believe and what we don't want to believe. If it's God's word, then it's God's word. It's the same thing with the Quran. Go ahead, Beth. I just wondering, like, is that really fair, though, honestly? Because the Bible is not really what it was, you know? Say, say it again now, I'm sorry. Like, the Bible isn't really what it used to be. So, I mean, at one point, yeah, I could see if you see it and you turn a blind eye to it, fine. But the way that things are worded in there now and the way it's all twisted and messed up now... Like, can you really? Mm, I, I, I can agree to a degree. So, for instance, do me a favor. Go to John 20. Everybody doesn't have to go, but if you want to see what I'm going to show her, go, go to John 20. So, Sister Beth, you know as well as I know that the majority of uh, the Christian family, friends, whatever, have the viewpoint that Jesus is God on earth. Yes? Correct. Okay. So, we go to... The resurrection story. We're going to go to John 20. I want you to start at verse 16 and just read verse 16 and verse 17. What does it say? Now, before you read, you're, we're going to play a, a role play here. You're a person who believes in Trinity. You're a person who believes that God took on flesh and came and died for my sins and your sins and everybody else's sins. And all we have to do is accept the blood. You just put me in a position to lose. <laughs> okay, so that's the scenario. That's the role play we're going to do. So I just opened the Bible to you, and I'm going to let you read Jesus' words. So start at verse 16. What's it say? Jesus said unto Mary, she turned herself and said unto him, Rabbani, which, uh, which is to say, Master. Jesus said unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Okay, so, as the person who would have just told me that Jesus and God are the same person, now I'm showing you in red letters, this is what Jesus said. Now I'm showing you with proof that you have now said the total opposite of what Jesus said. Is this twisted, or is this clear? 
No, but when it also says, you know, you see me, you see the Father, that just goes to explain how they're the same yet also different. Okay. I'm not going to let myself go into it, but I, I know we've studied enough, I, and I know you're just giving scenarios and, and you don't I'm just uh, hire, adhere to it. I got you. I got you. So, and, 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 and what you just quoted, you see me, you seen the Father, cool. But if you go back up five, maybe ten verses, and then read into the context of that statement, you can't say that no more. You, you can't hang on to that verse no more and say that that's what it's saying because you clearly saw five, six, seven verses above that Jesus is clearly distinguishing himself separate from God. So it makes no sense that all this time he's been making reference to himself and the Father, and now all of a sudden he is the Father. So still, it's very clear is does the person want to accept the truth over their tradition? So I will agree with you. Some aspects of the Bible are very twisted, but when it comes down to what Jesus said versus what he didn't say, that that's pretty clear-cut dry. Right. It's like, you know, so they for, say that the Bible is a living, it's a living book. And if it's a living book, I mean, it's got, it's got some failed, like, vital organs. Uh, yeah, yeah. So... So you get my point now what I mean by the disbeliever. The disbeliever would be the Christian who would clearly see these scriptures. Or, for instance, when you see scriptures where God says, there is no God but me, there's nothing that you can compare me to. But then I go to the churches and I see all these pictures of God sitting on thrones with long white beards and holding the world in his hands. This is total violation against scripture, and you know it is. That puts you now in the category of a disbeliever. Say it again. I've never seen that one. Pictures of God? Like stained glass windows. Holding the earth and all that. I thought that was Father Time. Oh, no. Okay. Well, they call it Father Time, but it's also called God. Okay. I never saw that in a church. Yeah. It's in a lot of churches. A lot of churches. Or there's churches with fans, and you got Jesus sitting on the throne holding the world in his hand. One hand is extended to the air. One hand yeah. is extended to the ground. Baphomet yeah. all all around. So anyway, so you get my point. Yeah. So it it can be obscure at times, but for the most part, as I keep this is why I always say, you'll never hear me say throw the Bible away, but you will hear me say it's a book that's been tampered with and has to be thoroughly studied. But when it's clear cut, dry. It, I mean, there's no point of arguing this. If Jesus said go sell hot dogs, then that's what he meant, go sell hot dogs. That's not, not the point to sit. Well, what kind of hot dogs did he mean? Did he mean cons or did he mean Oscar Mayer? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> 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 being silly, but you all get my point here. <laughs> so, so let's go back to Sore 5. So, just wanted to point that out, that when God keeps saying painful affliction for the disbelievers, he's not putting all the Christians in this bucket and saying, because you didn't do this and do that, you're hellfire for you. He's dealing clearly with people who know the truth, but for whatever reason, they don't want to tell the truth. Now, in my position, I can share this with you, and I've shared this with some of you all before. I've sat down with pastors. Preachers, some of which are on TV, some of which you may have never heard of. 
but I have yet to meet a pastor that will tell me behind closed doors that they know what I'm preaching is the truth. But they don't have the tenacity to do what I did because they know they'll lose everything, their congregation, their homes, their cars. So for a trifling gain, they mix truth with falsehood to appease what the people want to hear, even though in their own hearts and minds they know it's a lie. Now, for me, once God showed me most of what I was talking about wasn't factual, I couldn't stand up no more behind that pulpit and keep lying to people, knowing that one day I'm going to have to stand in front of God and give account to my life, and not only to my life, but to every soul that has listened to my words. I've got to give an account for that. And this is why the Bible says don't, don't have the desire to want to be a teacher. Because the teacher has a very double uh, uh, judgment upon them. So the teacher is going to get judgment too, just like everybody else, but the teacher's judgment is going to be a little bit more stern because you you have the, the, the responsibility to care for people's souls. And you lied to them and you misguided them. And, and right. you, you all get what I'm saying. That 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 yeah. you got to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Especially if you knew you was misguiding people. Okay, so for instance, every one of these people that have robbed God's people by saying God said there's 12 people here that's gonna sell a thousand dollars, and you know God didn't say that. You just wanted some money. They got to give an account for that one day. Mm-hmm. Every person they've robbed, every cent they've took, every lie they've told, they're going to – now, not saying like God's going to be so wrathful with them and hell's fire for you. I, I'm not a law, so I don't know what mercy, what justice, what anger. I don't know what will happen to that person on that day. But you get my point that we all have to own up to it. Each one of us will own up to our actions. Now, if you can, if we can get our hateful, wrathful God out of our minds, it would be just like a loving father or a loving mother who, when you've done something wrong, they're gonna call you on it, and you need you gonna have to you have to explain to mom or explain to dad why you did that. And for most of us, you know how that goes. They may be frustrated that you made such a silly choice like that, and you knew better, but in the end, you get some love. So not saying that God is just mean and ready to throw people in hell's fire, but we will answer to what we've done or or didn't do. And it doesn't necessarily mean he's just going to be so angry and mad because we, we just have to answer. So um, this is one thing I, I tell people that has helped me live before my Lord in, in, in a better light at, at times is keep in front of your mind that one day, rather through death or rather through he he comes before you close your eyes, we got to stand in front of him and answer. And I don't want to be that guy that has to answer all these questions and have no reason or no excuse as to why I did what I did. Well, what happened on this day? See what had happened, Father, was I, I was thirsty, and I saw that can a pop sitting there, and nobody wanted it, so I just drank it. Now, being silly again, but you, you, this is how you just have to think. It's not about living in a sin, hellfire, condemnation. I'm always scared to do anything because God's going to be mad at me. That's putting you in bondage. Live free. But the thing is, when I live free, 
I have to make sure that my living free is not abused. Meaning, if I know I shouldn't be doing it, then I shouldn't be doing it. And we each know what we shouldn't be doing because our own conscience tells us shouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. Which is why I keep saying, you know, and I'm going to use Venus for an example, Venus might be able to go out and have a glass of wine or two versus if I tried to have it, you know, my conscience may tell me, nope, not, you shouldn't do that. Now, does that mean that God loves Venus more than he loves me? Nope. It just means that God has a requirement on my life that he has not required of Venus. So, therefore, Venus's conscience is not going to convict her when she does that act versus the person who God has a different path for and he doesn't want that for you. Your conscience is going to convict you, not condemn you, convict you. All right. Questions, comments on that before we move? If not, verse 74. I have a comment. Well, go ahead. I just want to say that's another answer to your question as to why I don't. That's all I wanted to say. Amen. Amen. <laughs> um, uh, 74. Will they not rather turn unto Allah? and seek forgiveness of him. Allah is forgiving, merciful, the Messiah. The son of Mary was no other than a messenger, messengers the like of whom had passed away before him. And his mother was a saintly woman, and they both used to eat earthly food. See how we make the revelations clear for them and see how they are turned away. Question, why do you think Allah brings up the fact that Mary and Jesus ate food? To point out the human side. To point out the human side. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so he brings up the fact that Mary and Jesus ate food. Because he's pointing out the fact that neither one of them were gods. And this is why later on in the Quran, you find the ayat where God explains that on that day of resurrection, he will call Jesus to the witness stand. Now, before I quote this, I'm going to back you up to the Bible to show you that the Bible says the same thing from Jesus' word. Jesus says, and on that day, referring to Judgment Day, many will stand before me and say, Lord, Lord, did I not do this in your name? Did I do not that? Did I not do that in your name? And Jesus says he will respond to these people and say, "Depart from me. I don't know who you are because you did not do the will of the Father that I told you to do." Okay, so you go back to the Quran, and Allah says on that day, judgment. I'm going to call Jesus to the witness stand, and I'm going to ask Jesus, "Did you tell your followers, these people, to worship you and your mom as a god?" Next to me, and then Jesus is going to deny everybody that did such an act, and he's going to tell God, I never said such a thing, because you never gave me permission to say that, and I would have never misguided these people. So I ain't got nothing to do with that. So this is what Jesus is making reference to in the Bible where he talks about on that day, many are going to say, Lord, Lord, to me, and I'm going to tell them, I, I don't know you. I cannot vouch for you today, my brother. 
Not today. So Jesus has to stand before God just like we do. He's got to give an account. I'm going to let that one sink in for a minute. To, to, to think that Jesus has to go before the Father to, to be questioned on his actions and the life that he lived in the body. Ponder that for a minute. So if Jesus has to do it, what would make us think we're not going to have to do it? Okay, so God is showing us again. He's not uh, the one who came to be a baby. He's showing us again. He's not one of three. There's no God but him. And this is what all the prophets from the Bible on out have tried to emphasize to us, that we are to worship God and God alone. We don't worship man. We don't worship nature. We don't worship creation. We worship the creator and him alone. We don't ask mankind for nothing. We don't we, we, we ask Allah. We, we 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 put our faith and our trust in Allah. And that's what he asks of us. Um so go over to Daniel. Daniel the third chapter. So if Allah tells us I'm not the Messiah, son of Mary. He even tells you that we, what we just read, that Jesus was nothing more than a messenger, like any other messenger before him. So he seems to be emphasizing over and over and over that you've placed Jesus, to those who have done this, you've placed Jesus in the position that he was never supposed to be in. And out of Allah's love and mercy, be ignorant. But he sent revelation to get us to come back to our senses and think about this. And what I love about this is that's just coming from the Quran. You go to your Bible, it's saying the same thing. There's not one scripture where Jesus ever claimed to be God. Not, not one scripture throughout the entire New Testament where Jesus says, I'm God in the flesh. But yet we have incriminated Jesus as saying He's God in the flesh. And I promise you, and I will challenge you, go ask any of, the, any of your Christian family or friends that believe that Jesus and God are the same person and ask them to show you in the New Testament through Jesus' words where he said he was God. And they can't find it. And that's where I come back with the question, if it's not in the scriptures, why believe something that's not there? So then I'll get hit with, well, can you prove that he's not? Sure, here we go. Read this one, read that one, read this one, read that one, read this one, read that one. So after about six, seven scriptures of Jesus continuously saying that he's not God, don't worship me, worship God alone, then the person is now faced with that moment as to whether they will be a believer or a disbeliever. The disbeliever has now seen the truth. But because it does not conform to what they wanted to, they deny the truth and go with their lie, even though they know the truth. Is it possible for somebody to know the truth and yet still lie? It very much is. We see it happen all the time, yeah? So, um, so Daniel 3. Um, there's this term in the, in, 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 in the church world, Son of God, the Son of God, and uh, 
want to show you real quick from the from the Bible. What does this word son of God mean? Because to most, when we call Jesus the son of God, they take it to mean that Jesus is the literal son of God. But there's some problems with that when you put this back to the Bible because the Bible does not seem to use this title son of God in the sense of the way uh, we've been educated. So in Daniel 3, you find the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into the fiery furnace. We're not going to read the whole story. We're just going to pick it up in verse 23. So in verse 23, it says, And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound, into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. The Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished. And rose up in haste and spake and, and said unto his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the sun. Of God. So this is the first time in the Bible that the term the Son of God is used. So, unlike me, I don't know if you all have ever heard a sermon in church from this particular passage of Scripture where they preach and tell us that Jesus came and delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the fiery furnace. And this same Jesus who doesn't change yesterday, today, and forever is still getting in the fiery furnace with people and setting them free. Somebody say hallelujah. And then we all say hallelujah, dude. <laughs> Leave me alone, dude. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so that was it. Some of y'all may have heard this message before, some haven't, but it's a very common message that the Son of God came in the fiery furnace. And then when you try to argue it, they point this out that it says right there, the fourth one is like the Son of God. So here's a couple things to think about. One, notice it does not say that the fourth one is the Son of God. doesn't say that, Yes. Right, it says like. <laughs> but, it, but it says like the Son of God. So what does that mean, like the Son of God? First of all, we would have to figure out who the Son of God is that, that's being referred to here because this is the Old Testament. So Jesus wasn't even known yet. So how would a king know about Jesus and he didn't even exist yet? Does it make sense what I'm asking? Mm-hmm. Now, what's funny is, is, again, and I say study the Bible, you've got to kind of take it apart and put it back together again. You actually find out that in verse 25, where it says, in the form of the fourth is like the Son of God, if you go to the lexicon, the is not in the equation. The was added to the text so that it would say the Son of God in hopes that the reader would follow along with with the whole Jesus is God agenda. So when you look at the original in your lexicon, you find that the is not even there. But what should be there is A. 
So what the king actually said was that I see four men loose, and the fourth one looks like a son of God. So a son of God versus the son of God is two different levels, because a son of God would mean that there's other sons of God. And obviously these sons of God were common for the king to recognize it and say, that ain't no human in there with him. That's one That's one of those sons of God. So now we come back to what are these sons of God. Well, Genesis 6 says, uh, and it begins that when uh, uh, men begin to multiply on the face of the earth, the daughters were born to them. And the sons of God saw the daughters of men. Now, we know who these sons of God are. These, these are not gods. These were the jinn. But the question then would be, why are the jinn called sons of God? So you get my point. There's a difference from saying a son of God versus C son of God. Now, um, um, if one of you all can Google the same scripture, but I want you to pull up the revised um, version, the RSV, the revised standard version. Which scripture? And if one... Uh, Daniel 3, and we're going to read verse 25, because we read it from the King James where it says the fourth looks like the Son of God, but the revised, I told you, was a group of biblical scholars who came together and said, hey, the Bible's dangerous. They've added words that shouldn't be there. They've, they've added text to the scriptures that's not in the original manuscripts. So they came together and said, let's create a Bible and take it back to the original manuscript as close as we can. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, uh, Beth, do you have it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what's verse, verse 25 say from the scholars who tried to get us back to the manuscript as close as we can? He answered, but I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Okay, so said it that way versus the way it states in the King James Version, would you say there's a vast difference, Beth? Extremely, yeah. What differences stand out to you? Uh, God's if you were studying this uh, down, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, uh, you're fine. Um, God's plural, and then, and of course, God's little g. And then A instead of the, so instead of being the biological offspring of the creator, we're looking at sons of God as in, you know, the created beings. Okay, so as Sister Beth just read from the Revised, who the Bible scholars wanted to get us back as close to the original manuscript as we could, they threw out the part that says the fourth one looks like the Son of God, they threw it out, and they put it back to what it should have been. The fourth one looks like a son of the gods. A versus the, you you get what I'm saying. By reading the the Son of God and then capitalizing the S, the reader is then led to believe this is talking about Jesus. But it's not. Okay, so let's look at a couple things in verse 25 here. So the first thing I want to look at 
Can I is, ask a small question? Can you what? Can I ask a small question? Yeah. Okay. I've heard of sons of God singular, and I've heard of God's plural, but I've never heard of son of God's plural. You've never heard of sons of God, plural? Okay, I've heard of sons of God, as in like the angels were the sons of God the creator. Not biological, but being created. And then I've heard of the... the okay, pause, pause. Okay. I have a question. Oh, Where no. have you seen in the... What did I no, say? No, 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 you're good. You didn't say nothing wrong. You just okay. said something I just want to correct. You calm down, calm down. We ain't going to take okay. you on the rodeo. Okay, okay. <laughs> and then I'm ever like seen the light, the light being people. I got you, but have you ever seen in the Bible where the Bible calls an angel a son of God? Um, I thought so. Okay, where? Um, now, before you tell me, before you tell me, I'm going to do what I just said, I do. So, go to Hebrews real quick. Okay. Took a deep breath, didn't you? Yeah, I'm about to get massacred. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. So go to Hebrews 1. Okay. And I want you to read this verse 5. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, and again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Okay, so I asked again, at what point in the scripture have you ever read of an angel being called a son of uh, a son? Um, Genesis. Genesis. All the daughters of men, they were fair. But were they angels? I thought they were. I thought that's what that was. I thought, wait, hold on. I thought that was, angels are of the gen. The gen got with the daughters of the man, right, and had babies. No, no, angels and jinn are two different creations. But I thought the angels were of the jinn race. In the sense of they're not seen. Okay. So if you remember, I explained, our, our English word angels simply means messenger. So there can be messengers chosen from any of the creations right. that Allah wants to choose from. Right. Like right now, now you're in the being sense an angel. Of, right. <laughs> but in the sense of the Malika, they are a special type of creation because they were created from direct light. The jinn mm-hmm. weren't created from this same light. They were created from something different, so it makes the two races different. They're both of the jinn kind, meaning you can't see them with the natural eyes, and that's all the word jinn means is unseen. Okay, but um, I thought jinn so were made we, from fire. They are. The smoke was fire, right? They are. So Malika being made from direct light, is that not the same thing? Not the same thing. Not the same thing. That would be that would take me another lesson to explain it to you so you your mind will wrap around it. But I okay. will give you this little toe in the water. You must remember we just read something the other class 
where it talked about the ether and the fire all mixed together, but yet oh. they're two separate components. Okay, okay. So chew on that, and I think you'll get the answer to, to what you're... <laughs> okay, so I guess, let me still go back to that question, though. I've heard of the sons of God being those created beings, and I've heard of the Son of God when they're referring to, like, Jesus or whatever. But I've never heard Son, singular, of the God's plural. So is this something different? No, it's the same thing. Okay. okay. So if I broke it down to you where you could understand it in modern language, it's saying one of those kinds. Okay, I just found it strange yeah, to pluralized gods instead of sons. Right. You have to remember that the gods of the Old Testament are nothing more than your understanding of the jinn. So what what the king saw was one of the offshoots of one of the jinn kind. So we're talking which about is why he says no, not even talking about that. Just one of those invisible ones came and helped three human boys out. Okay. Which is okay. why Allah even tells us amongst the jinn, they're not all bad. Some actually want to help humans. Some want to hurt humans. So they're not all the same. In this case, this particular being decides to come and help. And the the the, the supernatural power that this being uses from the, what we understand from the story is he, or it, should I say, has the ability to withhold the heat from the flame so that the young men are able to walk around in the radiation and uh, bag on it. I didn't mean to say radiation, fire. Um, To clarify, for those who missed that class, I did teach this, that you actually find out that the fiery furnace is not a fiery furnace in the sense of what you think. It was a machine that was putting out radiation that was, yeah, kind of like a portal. Kind of like a portal. So, but that's, we'll come back to that lesson another time if you missed that when we taught it a couple months ago. Okay, so Beth, did that answer you? Sort of, yeah, for now. Okay. All right, so the first thing I want to look at is the word like. So if you got your screen up, I'm going to show you from your uh, Bible lexicon what the word like comes to. And it translates to be like, to resemble, to be like. Now, if you look into this on your own in the lexicon part where it talks about being like in resemblance, it's not necessarily talking about physical features, but rather attributes. So a son of God that or one that looked like the son of God is basically describing someone who has the attributes of the divine to the degree that you could actually say that they are so close to God is almost like they're God. Not necessarily calling them God, but do you you get my point? Mm-hmm. It's like if you if you hang around negativity, I could call you a son of negativity because that's what you that's what you demonstrate the most is negativity because you're always associated with negativity. So I could call you a son of negativity. 
doesn't mean that negativity actually gave birth to you, but because of the characteristics and the behavior patterns that you do, I can call you a son of 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 whatever I just said. Um, it's the same way in the Bible. Um, who are the two brothers? Bible, Bible, Bible quiz, real quick. Who and don't Google it. This is want to see what you know. Who are the two brothers that were disciples of Jesus? Matthew. No, wait, wait. Two brothers. I think one of them is Matthew. And okay, the other one. I know it was Matthew. One of them was Matthew. I can't think his brother's name bag is on the tip of my tongue. Oh my gosh. So Sabina says Matthew. Everybody else was like, I ain't saying nothing. Yeah, I ain't saying it. So my memory, I just can't one of them. Wait a minute. So, 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 the two sons that are mentioned as brothers are James and John. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> now, here, here's what here's what I got to clarify so there's no confusion. James and John are not the same James and John that you think. So we're not talking about John the disciple, nor are we talking about James the brother of Jesus. These were two other men named James and John because this was a common name. But the, the reason I brought them up is because Jesus and the peep and the disciples had a nickname for them. Does anybody remember what their nickname was? Sons of Thunder. They were the Sons of Thunder. I knew now, that. The reason why. Now, the reason why James and John were called the Sons of Thunder were because they were always somewhere fighting. So, do you get what I'm showing? Sons of Thunder was just a title because of the characteristics and attributes these men had that they were always somewhere squabbing. So, they they got nicknames the Sons of Thunder because they always somewhere fighting. Yes, Jesus had disciples that would throw fists with you. And if you really sit down and look at Jesus' disciples, Jesus had some thugs. He had some thugs. Hey, 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 wait a minute. Y'all got to keep in mind, remember, Nazareth's Galilee was considered the ghetto. If you read the story thoroughly enough, the majority of Jesus' disciples all came from the ghetto. They were black, you know what I'm saying? Well, I, hey, they they were black readers. Because you got to remember in the story, you got to remember in the story that night when they came to arrest Jesus, they had already seen Jesus out and all around. But that night, if you remember in the story, they came to Jesus and the disciples and they asked, which one of you is Jesus? And I always tell people, 
it was because they was black. Because, you know, they say we all look alike, so they couldn't tell which was which. Even though they saw him. Oh, I'm being silly. I'm being silly. <laughs> um, uh, but, yeah, you had Peter, who was always with his sword, stabbing people and cutting people's ears off. You, you had you had the zealots. Jesus had a couple of zealots um, that were part of his disciples. They were basically like assassins, trained assassins. So he had Peter and some assassins, and then some men that liked to fight. <laughs> These were the men that God chose to spread the good news. So never, ever look at your circumstances and think that God can't use you. If God can use a man who couldn't help but cut people, <laughs> God used men who always like to fight, you know. There's a lot of fights in the New Testament. It's just you just don't hear about it in church because we want to make the disciples and the apostles and them all look like Superman. And mm-hmm. and they were mighty they were mighty men, but they were humans. I mean, I always ask people, you never read in the Bible where Peter and Paul was about to have a fight? I man, Peter and Paul ain't never had no fight in church. And I take them to the scripture. What's this? Where Paul says, I got in Peter's face. But, I mean, what what more do you what more do you need to know? Like he admits that during the church service, I interrupted the service and got in Peter's face and confronted him. Now this is the same Peter who used to cut people. So I'm pretty sure Paul got in his face. Y'all can only imagine how it went down. Anyway, we're getting off subject. <laughs> we're getting off subject. So um, that's why I brought up James and John to show the title Sons of Thunder doesn't mean that they were literally born from thunder. It's just a, a title given because of the type of characteristics that they had. Okay, so I'm going to show you something else from the Bible dictionary here. Um, Are you showing this on, we, the, on the screen? Because I, I'm not saying anything but the Kingdom Embassy and Healing and Deliverance Ministry shot. Me too. Yeah, it's on the screen. Y'all not seeing this? Seriously? Nope. Yeah. Oh. Still in the PowerPoint. Oh. I don't think you yeah. can. Uh, I, I, yeah, because it's showing the share. Let me try something real quick. Hold on. Oh, it just went green. Yeah, because I'm going to do it again. Do it again. Okay, y'all still don't see it? Nope. Kingdom I didn't even see the slide that you said, look here, when you were talking about the sons. I'm like, what is we talking about here? I I, I don't know. Y'all so really can't see what this? I see, no, we see the, what we see in introductory, you know, when it first come up, all we see is the Kingdom oh, Embassy go. slide. But then you have your PowerPoint slides on the side. We can see those, but they're real little, you know, like the pages of your PowerPoint. Yeah, y'all not supposed oh, to be seeing that. What do y'all see now? Now I just see the Kingdom Embassy Healing and Deliverance Ministry. Now I see okay. Jesus. Okay, now it's working. Now it's working. Okay. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so, so this is the word we were on here. <laughs> I wish I would have told me this like 15 minutes ago. <laughs> no, <I'm playing. laughs> um, 
get to the uh uh okay so the 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 Hebrew word for son is for the most part ben or bene so often you'll hear me say bene israel and then I'll say children of israel so bene israel means children of israel or sons of israel so bene simply means son. But bene has several different uh, meanings. So, uh, Sister Beth, can you read some of this for us, please? Ben, or Bane, from H1129, a son, as a builder of the family name, in the widest sense of literal and figurative relationship, including grandson, subject... Okay, stop there for a minute. So, as we see here, Bene, which means son, can be used literally or it can be used figuratively. If used figuratively, it doesn't describe an actual flesh, blood, bone, DNA son, but it describes, again, characteristics of a person. Okay, read on. Uh, subject, nation, quality or condition, etc. Like okay, stop there. Stop there. So a subject can be considered bene, a son. So if you understand what a subject is, it's basically a servant. If a king has a subject that's a servant, that that servant can be considered bene, son. A nation can be considered bene, son. Hence, God saying in the book of Exodus, which we'll get more into on Friday night. Go tell Pharaoh to let my firstborn son, Israel, go. So in the Bible, God calls Israel his firstborn son. Now, is God saying that the children of Israel being his firstborn son are literal DNA children? No, it's figuratively. It's because this nation was supposed to depict to the rest of the world the attributes and characteristics of God that they got the title son of God. Not because they were literally born of God, but because they were to demonstrate to everybody else what it meant to be God-like, to be kind to others, to love others, to help others, be dutiful to God, be dutiful to your parents, so on, so on. So that was supposed to be the example to the rest of the world. So if you understand that part, when you and I do our part of what God asks us to do, and we gain closeness to God, guess what that makes you? That makes you a son or a daughter of God. Not because God literally gave birth to you, but because you have reached a level in your your walk that you are demonstrating to the rest of creation the attributes and the character of God. Now, again, I, I bring up what I brought up in the past. When it comes to the attributes of Allah, this is the mercy he shares upon us, his creation, because he allows us to participate in his attribute. Love is God, yes? Well, the scripture says that, that, that God is love. So love is God, God is love. So for you and I as creation to have love, not lust, love, genuine love, the way God loves. It requires God to share that attribute of love in our souls so that we can manifest that to creation. God is peace. So there is no peace 
without God. But in order for you to manifest peace in your life, it requires God to share the attribute with you. And so if you understand, Allah has shared these attributes. So when he placed you and me in our mother's womb, and he put the program, the innate person of who we are at the core of who we are, all the attributes of himself that he needed in you for you to demonstrate him to the world in the in the capacity to which he was going to call you to, if you obey and submit, this is where we develop these attributes now. Allah has loaned them to me. It's my responsibility to develop it. And the more I develop it, the more I can stand in front of creation and be the viceroy to represent the one who sent me. Doesn't make me equal to God, but it allows me, the human, to demonstrate the invisible God to the rest of creation in hopes that by my guidance or my life or my words, it will prick their hearts to come to that degree of relationship with the creator too. So if we go back to Jesus, Jesus did not live the life he lived to show off that he was the son of God. Jesus showed what he showed to show the rest of us, if he could do it, we can do it. Because the same God that loved him is the same God that loves us. The difference is he took time and developed those God-given attributes. The question for us is, are we willing to put in that time and effort to develop our souls that all the godly attributes that are in us can develop? Or will we be so attached to the physical world that we never grow because we just can't develop because we're we're caught up in everything else? Okay? So um, go ahead and read some more, Sister Beth. We stopped at uh, uh, Levite. Uh, okay, Levite. Um, one, appointed to... Arrow. Wait a minute. Go back one. Go back one. Go back one. Oh, uh, he said. Let's see. Quality or condition, etc. Like father or brother, etc. Afflicted age. Aha. Uh, Ammon, Hashem, Levite, anointed one. Appointed. Stop there. Stop there. So anointed one, we know, also comes back to the word Mishka. Or Messiah. So Messiah also has another title, which means Son of God. So to the Jew that were right that Jesus was the Son of God, it was basically equivalent to calling him the Messiah because that's all the word Son of God meant. It was a man who demonstrated the attributes and personality of God to a degree that he was considered the Son of God, someone close to God. Okay, read on, Sister Beth. Appointed to Arrow Sir Babylon, Egypt, Grecian, one born, bow, branch, breed, young, bullock, young calf, came up in, child, colt, common, corn, daughter, corn, that just came out of nowhere, daughter of first. Uh, firstborn, full, very fruitful, postage, 
in kid, blam, man, meet, mighty, nephew, old, people, rebel, robber, servant born, soldier, son. Okay, stop there. Stop there at servant born. So here we come back to the word servant again. So servant again can mean son. So without reading the rest of these definitions, you all see my point that the word bene, that we equate English son, can have many different meanings. It would depend on the context to figure out which of these meanings do we add to this story. Everybody get that? Mm-hmm. So we're now understanding bene, or son, that simply means figuratively one that's close to God. So when you read in Genesis 6 where it states, that and the sons of God saw the daughters of men. So what it's describing is not angels, but beings that were supposed to be very close to God. So the people of that time saw these beings as beings that were very close to God. They were supposed, and if you understand the Bible story, that they were supposed to tutor us. They were supposed to help us and, and, and teach us. Your Bible confirms this, but a group of them went rogue and decided to take matters into their own hands and rebel against the mission that they were sent to do, which was help us. But instead of helping us, they took advantage of innocent children. Because if you think about it, man was basically a child at that time. We were just created. We didn't know as much as they knew. They had been here thousands of years before us. So, of course, they knew things more than what we did. We were the innocent people. They raped our mama. <laughs> Not laughing about it, but you all get what I'm saying. It it, it was a disaster. They raped our mama. Who are you talking about? Wait a minute. Hold on. What? The sons of God that came, okay, you got to go back to the garden. Oh, mama and collectively. And okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. So, so, so that's who these sons of gods are—not divine beings in the sense of they were gods, but associates of God, beings that were considered close to God to the point that they were supposed to demonstrate the attributes and characteristics of God. But they failed. All right, one more thing from the Bible dictionary, and um. Can everybody see this? Mm-hmm. Okay. It's, okay. All right. So, Beth, can you read a little bit of that for us? The appellation of sons of God is given in the Old Testament to angels. Stop That's there. Stop two. there. Stop mm-hmm. there. Does anyone know what the word appellation means? If not, here. We're going to make it easy. Here's the definition. Is a designation, name given to a person, thing, or a class. Comes from mid-15th century, from old French. Ap, ap, however you say that, Appalachian. Say it again. Appalachian. Appalachian, whatever. Name, denomination. Um, it's addressing, accosting, an appeal, a name, a title, noun of action from past uh, uh, participle stem, 
uh, to address, appeal to, name. Um, appellation is a descriptive and therefore specific term as St. Louis. John's appellation was the Baptist. George Washington has uh, the appellation of the father of this country. A title is an official or honorary appellation as Reverend, Bishop, Dr., Colonel, Duke. So we'll go back to our uh, Bible dictionary. Okay, read it now, Sister Beth. So now we know what the word appellation means, the designated title. So the designated title of the sons of God is given in the Old Testament to, go ahead, Beth. Angels, Genesis 6, 2, Job 1, 6, 2, 1, 38, 7, Psalms 29, 1, and 89, 7, either as the host and attendants of God or on account of a greater likeness to the divine nature, although a body is attributed to them. Uh... General location cited to kings, not those of the Hebrews only, but foreign ones also. Psalms 89:28 as being the substitutes of God on earth, taught and aided by the divine Spirit. First Samuel 10:6, 9, uh, 11, 6. And okay, you can, you you can you can stop there. So if you read the rest of this in in uh, 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 later, you will find that all these. Appellations are titles given to different people throughout the scripture, but the title is Son of God. And if, as you can see, it's a descriptive term that more acknowledges the person's behavior patterns. Okay, I have a question. Go for it. Okay, the first two sentences just undid everything you taught me. In what sense? Because sons of it says oh the angels God is the given angels, in the Old Testament the angels. angels which is what I understood was angels right but I'm dealing with a Christian understanding of angels who consider angels to be sons of God regardless of what the Bible says okay so this is limited understanding is what you're saying that would be the best answer I would give you okay gotcha thank you now. I will say this, angel, meaning messenger, is, depending on its characteristics, is fits the description of a son of God. So I'm using the word angel for what it really means, not for what the church has made it out to be, these big things with light bodies and wings and all the other stuff. That that's the way most people take the word angel. When I understand angel, I take it back to its etymology of what the Bible means by angel, and it's a messenger. This messenger can be of 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 the seraphim type. It could be of the Rephraim type. It could be of of the Ephraim type. It, there's different types of these beings, and Allah chooses messengers out of each group. So I would agree with what I'm reading, but it would be one of those things, Sister Beth, where depending on who I'm studying with, is it worth me going that deep to explain what angels mean? If the person just understands angels to be these beings that come and they get white robes on and they help people, I leave it at that till it's time for them to know more knowledge. That makes sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So as you can see, 
the Son of God um, can be given to kings. And I like the fact that it brings up not just the Hebrew kings, but foreign kings also were called Son of God um, in the Bible. Um, 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 when the Bible calls people Son of the Devil, at times you have to know when it's talking literal, and other times you have to understand when it's given this appellation because of the characteristics of a person. Or, for instance, in the Old Testament, whenever the the young men who studied with the senior prophets, they were called what? Sons of the prophets. Did it mean that all these young men were actually flesh, blood, bone, children of the prophet? No. But these were men who had been with the prophet so long that they began to show attributes and characteristics of this man that you couldn't tell the two apart. Um, perfect story is when Elijah left, and he told Elisha, the young man he had trained for years, that you are now going to be prophet in my place. My time is up. You're going to take over and lead the people. Elijah responds to his teacher, I, I, I need what you had in order for me to be successful. Y'all know the story. I don't have to rehash the same thing. So the man gets on the spaceship. It takes him up in the air. He throws his prayer shawl back down. Elijah picks it up. And the young man walks over to the Jordan River, and after watching his mentor do it for so long, he mustered up the boldness to do what he saw his mentor do, and he hit the water, and the water separated, and he walked across on dry land. Now, the story gets deeper. When he gets back to the school of the prophets, all the prophets stand up out of reverence to him, and he's kind of shocked and asks, kind of like, well, what's going on? And they respond in your Bible that the spirit of Elisha rests on you. So they honored him as though they would have honored Elijah because when they looked at him, all they could see was Elijah himself, even though he was not Elijah. But because he was with Elijah so much, Elijah's influence began to influence him. So his characteristics, the way he walked, the way he talked, the way he even started doing miracles did nothing but mimic his mentor. So therefore, he was the son of a prophet. Did you catch that? So it, it applies to the same thing when it comes to our relationship with God. How much time do I spend with God will depend on how much his presence can influence my life. Then once his presence begins to influence my life, I have to make the conscious decision to cooperate with these influences so that the attributes and the characteristics of God's spirit can begin to manifest in my flesh and show the rest of creation the invisible God. And this is why your Bible says clearly that Jesus is the express image of the invisible God. So this is another scripture that we bring up to challenge Jesus and God are the same person. Because if Jesus is the express image of the invisible God, how can the image and the thing that's being uh, reflected be the same thing? So, when you look in the mirror, you see a reflection. Is the reflection you, though, or is it a reflection? Now, most will say, yeah, it's me because it's my reflection, and I get that, but you get what I'm saying. The reflection in you are two different things, even though it's reflecting you. But the reflection is the reflection, and you are you. So we do nothing but reflect 
the attributes and characteristics that God has chosen to share with us, if we so choose to develop those gifts and talents that God has placed in us. Okay, so um, uh, so that we that we know this, go over to uh, uh, Sor twenty one. Sor twenty one, and we'll look at verse twenty. So starting in verse uh, 20, actually we'll start at 25. Let's go down to 25. So in verse 25, Allah says, We never sent a messenger before you, O prophet, without revealing to him, there is no God worthy of worship except me, so worship me alone. I'm sorry, I read it from a different version. Let me read it from the Pictal. Uh, and we sent no messenger before thee, but we inspired him, saying, There is no God save me, so worship me. Uh, 26. And they say the Beneficent has taken unto himself a son. Be he glorified. No, but those whom they call sons are honored slaves. Who do not? They do not speak until he has spoken, and they act by his command. He knows what is before them and what is behind them, and they cannot intercede except for him whom he accepted, and they quake for all of him. Okay, so based on what Allah says in verse uh, twenty-six and twenty-seven. He tells us that there's a saying going around that I've taken to myself a son. And Allah says, I have no son. Then you got to think, I, I'll, I'll, I'll bring up another scripture. Allah says, based on his majesty, why would he need to have a son and he has no need of anything? What purpose? He, and he asks this question in the Quran to think about it. What purpose would it befit him to produce a son? When he needs nothing. I'm not asking y'all to answer. I got quiet to let it let let you think about it. So a lot asks us to think about this. Why would I need children? My own children, my own offspring when I don't have need of anything. Why would Allah need offspring when he's the one that just says be and it is? So if he wants somebody to be next to him, he he doesn't have to go uh, procreate, he just say be. And Allah even addresses this in the Quran where he says to us, do not think for a moment that I created you just to create you, just to have fun with. And he tells us, if I wanted to have fun, I would have created something in my dimension to have fun with. So he lets us know our creation is with a purpose, is with an agenda. We're not just here aimlessly. We are here because Allah has a plan question is, will we align with his plan, or will we go against the the plan? Okay, so um, uh, go over to Acts chapter 3 while I'm, while I'm still talking here. Um, so he tells us that these sons that people say are nothing more than honored 
servants. That's all the son is, is an honored servant. Again, taking it back to a son of God from Jewish idiom, is one who is close to God. Uh, matter of fact, um, Beth, do me a favor. I want you to look up, uh, let me think how to word it. Uh, look up Son of God Jewish idiom and see if anything comes up, please. The term Son of God is used in the Hebrew Bible as another way to refer to humans who have a special relationship with God. In Exodus, the Okay, stop there. Stop there. I actually read it because I think they're going to bring up Exodus that I brought up earlier. Go ahead. In Exodus, the nation of Israel is called God's firstborn son. Solomon is also called the son of God. Angels, just as just and pious men, and the kings of Israel are all called sons of God. Okay, so from the Jewish idiom, again, when reading this Bible, if you try to read it from the Western standpoint, you miss it. You take it back to the writers and understand what they understood when they used these words, you get a better understanding of what's actually being said. So from the Jewish standpoint, to call Jesus the son, the son of God was basically another way of just saying Messiah or a man who was very close to God or a deep servant of God, however you want to word it, but it was never taken in the sense of a literal son of God. Does everybody see the same thing? Whoa. All right, Acts chapter 3. And we're going to look at uh, verse uh, 6, 16, verse 16. So uh, in Acts chapter 3, if you read the whole story, this is where Peter and John were on their way to the temple. And there's this crippled man. And Peter looks at him and says, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And the man walks. So, so we're not going to read the whole story. We'll pick it up in verse 16. And it says, uh, and his name through faith in his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which is by him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I want that through ignorance you did it, as did our as did your rulers. But those things which God before has showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, uh, so on, so on. So let's jump down to um verse twenty actually no. Jump back up to verse, um, where am I at? Hold on. I was right. I said 16. Go back to verse 6. <laughs> That's why I'm like, this ain't making sense right now. Hold on. Verse 6. Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ. Now let's get up and walk. He took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. I'm going to pause here real quick. I want to see, did, do you catch what 
verse 7 is demonstrating to you about operating in the, the gift of healing and miracles. I'm going to answer it, but I just want to see if anybody catches it at all. Do you see what verse 7 is clearly explaining about how to operate in the gift of healing and miracles? Yes, he took him by the right hand. Okay. He took him by the right hand. That's one step. Anybody else see anything else that stands out to you? He lifted him up. Lifted him up, too. Okay, so... So, so anybody else, before I delve at it, Sister Samaya, since so, you said took him by the right, go ahead, go ahead. Uh-huh. Okay, go ahead. Now, you might, go ahead, why don't you go ahead. You might say what I'm getting ready to hit you with. No, I mean, I I, I had to kind of like reread it because I was thinking that he spoke something, in, he spoke something into the ether before he actually went into motion, but... I'm not. I'm not catching that. Okay. You're right. If you go back up to verse six, the first thing Peter says, and you got to remember the story. The man's crippled. He can't walk. Mm-hmm. And as Peter walking by, they lock eyes. And Peter walks over to the man and says, "Silver and gold. I don't have any money to give because the man was asking for money. Right. But what I do right. have, I give it to you." In the name of Jesus, mm-hmm. get up and walk. So that's speaking mm-hmm. right there the word. He spoke mm-hmm. the manifestation before the result even happened. Right. Number two, after he speaks the word, Peter exercises his faith by reaching out to the crippled man because obviously he's not healed yet because the Bible says clearly he didn't receive strength in his legs until Peter lifted him up. Mm-hmm. So when Peter said, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk, nothing physical happened. It took Peter to exercise his faith in the word to reach down and pull this man up. And as Peter pulled him up, all of a sudden the legs started working. Everybody catch that. Go for it, Mm -hmm. Beth. Okay, in verse 6, correct me here, but the way it's worded, it sounds as if, he already possessed the healing. Like, I, I I usually think of healing as, like, the healer, the person doing it, is more of like a conduit, of, a channeler of the healing mm-hmm. energy of God through them. But before he ever did anything at all, he said that what he has, he will give. So is the healing already in him? But the healing is coming from the power. Yes, of What's course. being demonstrated saying, here is... Is healing already in him, or is he channeling? Like He's, he's channeling power, but what you've got to emphasize is this is a man who knew he had the power. So this is where you, I, anyone who operates in this, the first thing you've got to know is you've got it, because I can't give you something that I don't have. Mm-hmm. And if I don't have confidence in myself that I got what God says I got, going back to what I keep preaching for the last few months, we've got to believe what God says about us versus what we believe about ourselves. And if God says I've got the power, then I've got to believe that and act on it. Right, now, so the power was already do, in him. The power is already in him. Why? Go back okay. to Acts chapter 2. Jesus told him, you shall receive power after that Holy Ghost comes on you. 
So he knew he had this experience with Holy Ghost. The power was with him. Now it's time to act. <laughs> and this is what I tell people. What's the point of saying you got the Holy Ghost so you can run around speaking tongues all day? And, and 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 but then when demons manifest, you the first one running out the room. Make that make sense. Come on now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Again, I'm not saying we got to go out and look for fights and be arrogant about this. But if if I don't know that I am the viceroy, and I don't walk like I'm the viceroy, and I don't think like I'm viceroy then viceroyship won't really manifest in my in my life because it's just a doctrine. You've got to go beyond doctrine and understand that this is what God says about you. You are his representative in the earth. And if he expects you to represent him, he's going to back you with power to represent the kingdom. But he's only obligated to back you when you have the kingdom's best interest in mind. If it's about your kingdom and your ministry and whatever you try to do, God's not obligated to back that. But if your heart is set on gaining souls to the kingdom to submit to the king and advancing the kingdom in the earth, God will back you with absolute power. Does that mean I'm going to go out and pull people out of wheelchairs? Oh, that's that, oh, Allahu Allah. But just know you got power. Amen. Mm-hmm. So, does that answer you, Beth? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so verse 8. And he leaped up and stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that this was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. Now, here's where I want you to start paying attention. As the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon, greatly wondering. When Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, You men of Israel, why marvel at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though through our own power or holiness we made this man walk? This is very crucial that you understand what Peter said. Peter said here, don't look at us like because we're so holy and we're so this that we were able to do this. And this is why I keep saying when you understand God's grace, it's not about how holy you are. Holiness is something that's personal between you and God. You become holy as much as you want to. But when it comes to God operating with you to help other people out of the the whims of the devil, if God can use a donkey to get his point across, God can use whoever. This is not me saying just keep doing whatever we're doing bad and don't make changes, but I hope you get what I'm saying. Don't ever let a, a, a flaw stop you from being used by God. You got a flaw, keep going, and keep asking God to deliver you and help you with that flaw. But never, ever just become complacent because you have a flaw. We'll teach a whole lesson on that one day so you'll understand grace versus this. this. Yeah, so verse 13 is, is what I want us to pay attention to here, and we'll close with this. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his son, Jesus, 
whom you delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. Okay, so Peter says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his son Jesus. Capital S again, and son Jesus. So it's very clear that we're talking about Jesus as the son of God again, right? But to the average Christian reading this, we go back to our understanding that Jesus is literally the son of God. Now, based on everything we just read from the Bible Dictionary about what bene means or what the appellation of the word sons of God means, um, here we have this scripture. Now, I'm going to show you the definition of this word son first. So in your lexicon, the word son comes back to the word paeus. Now, it's not in English here, it's Greek. But the definition can mean a child, boy or girl, infants, children, servant, or slave. An attendant, servant, especially uh, a king's attendant, a minister. So the word son, paeus, simply just means a servant. Mm-hmm. Okay, now, to prove the point, as we close tonight, Beth, I want you to Google this same scripture again, but go to the Revised. We're going to go back to the scholars who decided to take us back to the original manuscript as closely as possible, and let's see what they have to say about this scripture. So Acts 3, and we're going to look at verse 13 from the Revised Standard Version. Okay, Beth, you got it? I do. Uh, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered and delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Okay, stop there. So, do you see how they removed the word son out? And they put the actual word that should be there, servant. So all through the New Testament in the book of Acts, in most cases where it talks about Jesus being the Son of God, if you go and look at it, it's actually dealing with the word servant. So you take that word servant and go back to the Hebrew understanding or the Jewish etymology, because you've got to remember New Testament is Greek. That's why the word is now changed from bene to uh, paeus, because we're now in Greek. But you take these two different terms together and put them together as one, which would mean bene, son, Literally, yes, you are son of that father. Figuratively, though, it's a title given to people who are close to God, whether that be angels, whether that be kings, whether that be the Messiah, whether that be whatever definitions we've read tonight. All these names can be summed up to son of God, not literally, but figuratively. Go for it. In the very next um, scripture, it says that you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murder to be granted to you and killed the author of life. Mm-hmm. Your uh, question? God is, God is the author of life? 
Correct. Right. But this is again, this is again your translators trying to equate Jesus and God to be the same person. So this is what I say. You've got to study this to separate their lies from the truth. Right, but I thought the RSV was the where they took it back to the you know close to the to original. The, to the close to the closest they could. Some things are still jacked up. For instance, I'll give you another one just to prove my just to show you. Um, uh, uh, John three sixteen says what? Anybody? For God so loved the world. Da 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 da. No 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 no! Don't say the da 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 da. Say it. Say it. The world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Okay, so this is where the Christian gets hung up on when it comes to the Son of God. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten. So begotten is the problem. So RSV, please, 316. Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him... Oh, why, 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 why remove the word begotten? Because by putting begotten there, you've now incriminated God to do an act that is unbefitting of his majesty. Right, but to put only implies that there aren't others. Um, in the sense of why only is there is because Jesus is the only one of that kind of son of God. And there's been nobody else that can do it. Okay. Not saying that only Son of God in the sense there's no other sons of God, because if that's the case, we now have to contradict the Bible that says the sons of God had sex with the daughters of men. Israel's my son. Solomon's my son. David is my son. Ephraim is my son. Uh, those who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. So we would have to throw all that out the Bible if Jesus is the only son in the sense of only. But understanding the word only from Greek, you'll understand what it's making reference to is the way that Jesus was created and the way God brought him into existence. No one else has had that experience amongst mankind. So he is unique in that sense. But to take the word begotten to describe that, that that's the crime. And we'll stop there for tonight and we'll pick up begotten on Friday night. Questions, comments? Yeah, I do. Did we did we do Sora Ten? What verse was that? Sora Ten um, was verse sixty eight, and no, we did not do that one. But it was Sora Ten, verse sixty eight. Uh, what we were going to read, okay. and I believe it deals with the same subject of God basically uh, addressing mankind about incriminating him for having children. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Any other questions, comments? Somebody's head hurts. <laughs> All right, so we'll finish this on uh, Friday night, inshallah, and um, we'll, we'll go from there. It's time to go make prayer now. Time to go make prayer. Sister uh, Samaya, your mom doing still good this week? She's well.